And you are faithful to Abraham and to Moses. And you are faithful to David. You are faithful to your word. And you're faithful to us today. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you keep your promises. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Please be seated. These guys do a good job today. Five, dude. Fun stuff. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. We welcome you guys. Let's take up an offering. Lord, I thank you for blessing us. It's our pleasure to give back to you today. Accept this offering, use it for your purposes, to advance your kingdom, bring glory to your name, to bless your children. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for giving. If you're making out a check, you can make it out to the bridge. A few announcements. Um, we have, we're going to have prayer multiple times throughout the week. Um, starting next week, we'll have prayer on Tuesdays. 10 a.m. at Jenny's house. We'll have prayer on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. here at the church. Maurice is going to lead that, and we'll have prayer on Thursdays, uh, excuse me, on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. And Dorothy uh, takes point on that, which I'm very grateful. So if your heart is for intercession, you've got a variety of options to plug into. Wednesdays is the food pantry uh, at 6 o'clock. It's been great. I really love the job that John and Mary are about to do in and spearheading that, yes. And we appreciate your generous uh, donations of, of time and uh, canned goods. There's a box in the back if you'd like to bring some canned goods, especially vegetables and fruit, right, canned, non-perishables like that. Uh, we've been getting a, um, a variety of people coming every week, and uh, I think there was some 17 families, maybe over 50 people that we were able to provide food for this week. That was a good thing. So please, if you'd like to help, Mary Beth would love to have your help. Wednesday nights, we, this is our last week for the Prophetic Evangelism Workshop. We've been doing that at 8 o'clock here at the church. If you've never come to any of them and you're still curious, you're welcome to come. Um, each week kind of stands on its own, but it's been fun doing it. Uh, there will be youth group this coming Saturday night. Uh, at 7.30 here at the church. That's uh, April 10th. Let's see. A couple of new events coming up. Uh, keep praying. I've been in contact with uh, Joe over at Spoon Coffee House on Wellwood. Uh, I think he's going to open up Tuesday nights, every other Tuesday night for us, to offer a dream interpretation. And uh, So we haven't nailed that down yet. Um, I expect to have a phone conversation with him tomorrow to nail it down. So we'll be able to put teams in there to offer um, you know, a biblical um, version of dream interpretation for the people in the community. It, it'll be fun. We've done lots of training over the last year, almost a year. You believe April 1st will be a year that Nadine and I are, we moved here? Time flies, huh? <clears throat> I know. It feels like it's been forever, right? No, we for some <laughs> Really, it feels like time has gone quickly. But we've spent a lot of time over the last year offering training on how to do 
outreach just like we're going to be doing at Spoon. And so I'm excited about opportunity to put into practice some of the things um, that we've uh, been focusing on. So keep that in prayer. That is probably going to start on April 13th or Tuesday. I said Wednesday nights, April 14th, starting April 14th, we'll have prayer at the church from 8 to 9. Maurice will be leading that. Thursday nights, we'll be doing a book club. Uh, There's a book written by um, Jake Colson. It's titled, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. And we'll be doing that as a book club on Thursday nights, uh, beginning at 8 o'clock here at the church. This is the great thing about the book. If you want to purchase the book, you can go online and you can purchase it. If you'd like to download a free copy of the book, the whole book's free online. If you go to our church website, um, thebridgelandrhineland.com, go under where it says training and book club. There are links to either purchase the book or a link to do get a free download of the book. So we'll be starting that on um, April 15th. I'm not going to purchase a stock of books, so you can download it for free or you can get the Amazon link there for it. But it should be fun. Interesting book. Thought-provoking. If you like The Shack, it's a story. And so it kind of tells the story of this guy who, who meets a man um, who acts and behaves as if he's John the Apostle, who's never died. And he's been alive all these years. And talks about knowing Jesus in a way that average Christians uh, don't. It's a novel, but I think it ought to be thought-provoking and a gr- good for a group discussion. So that'll be on... On Thursdays. We have our post-secret board in the back. There's a couple of new secrets up there this week. A fun way to put a James 5.16 into practice. You confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. So if you want to take advantage of that, I just encourage you to be honest, be anonymous, be creative. It should be fun. Did I miss any announcements? No? Alright, good. Then open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Today's message is Easter. It's all about relationship. Last week I talked about hope. And I defined hope, we looked at a few different definitions, but summing it up, we define hope as an eager expectation. And to help uh, illustrate that, I, I offered some word pictures. Who remembers Christmas morning as a child? And that time, you know, just before your parents come and get you and bring you into, for us it was the living room, where the Christmas tree was. Right? There's an eager expectation that there's gifts under that tree with your name on it. <laughs> and inside those boxes are the things you've been hoping to get. That, that time before you actually take hold of the present. That's hope. I had hope. I had an eager expectation that day, many of those Christmas mornings, that there would be something. Another eager, another example, another word picture of hope, an eager expectation, was after 18 hours of labor, Nadine was taken in and they were going to do a C-section on her. And Whatever the rules were then, I was allowed to go in. But waiting out in the special room they had for the fathers. I stayed there, I stood there with an eager expectation that my wife would be okay and that I would see, well at that point I didn't know if it would be my son or my daughter, but that I would hold them in my arms soon and it wound up being my daughter. It was an eager expectation, that's what hope is. An eager expectation that something good is going to happen. 
I shared with you some of Martin Luther's insights last week on the connection between faith and hope. Boy, they're really similar. You know, they seem connected at the hip, almost like twins. Scripture says that faith is being sure of what we hope for, right? And certain of what we don't see. So is it possible to have faith if you don't have something to hope in? It's a good question. They're linked together. Luther made five uh, insights that I shared last week. He said that faith originates in the understanding while hope rises in the will. That faith says what is to be done. Faith teaches and describes and directs, but hope exhorts the mind to be strong and to be courageous. Luther also said that faith concentrates on the truth while hope looks to the goodness of God. He's good. He's going to do what he said he would do. Faith is the beginning of life before tribulation, and hope comes later and is born of tribulation. Remember Romans 5, right? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, right? Hope does not disappoint us. His last point is that faith is a judge. It judges errors. Where hope is a soldier and it fights against despair and waits for better things to come, even in the midst of evil. And he summed it up nicely by saying, by faith we begin, but by hope we continue. And I reminded you last week that we serve a God who keeps his promises. Easter is a perfect example of that. Easter is the greatest example that we serve a God who keeps his promises. In Matthew 28, the angel told Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, he said, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. So I want to encourage you today that the same one who rose from the dead, just like he said he would, is the same one who's going to fulfill the promises in your life, just like he said he would. You can trust him. Easter is proof that God keeps his promises. It's also proof that nothing is impossible for him. Think about it today. Whatever promise you're holding on to, whatever it is that God has spoken into your life, no matter how impossible it may seem at the moment, could it be any more impossible than it probably felt for Peter, James, John, and Andrew on Saturday night? Right? Oh my goodness. He said he was a king. (laughs) I watched them beat him to death last night and crucify him. And now he's dead. But everything changed Sunday morning. It went from the impossible to the possible. And the same God who made promises to you, even though it may feel like Saturday. Easter is the promise. Easter is the evidence that we serve a God who keeps his promises. That's good news. You can have hope. You can put your hope in that. 
kind of mixing a little bit of last week and this week, but Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God knew you when he gave you the promise. He knew what you would do after he gave you the promise. He knew the mistakes you would make on your journey after the promise was spoken. I love the way Larry Randolph says it. God has factored our stupidity into our destiny. He knows you. And still he gave you the promise. The one who cannot be unfaithful. It's his nature to be faithful. It's his nature to bring about his word. He can't lie. The same one who said, let there be light, and out of nothing created everything, is the same one who's spoken a promise to you. And Easter is the evidence that he keeps his promise. He who promised is faithful. For that reason, we can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess when we speak out the promises that he's made to us. Usually where we get messed up is that it doesn't come out the way we expect it will. Right? My, two of my life verses have been Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. His ways are not my ways. <laughs> His ways are higher than my ways. He often does things differently than I thought they would turn out, but he's still faithful to his word. So, today's message. It's all of Easter. It's all about relationships. If you're in Philippians chapter 3, please follow along as I read some of my favorite verses. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says, beginning at verse 7, But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I love verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Lord, I thank you for the truth and the power that's in your word. I ask that you give me grace today to communicate your word to your people in a life-giving way. Thank you, Lord. So Easter is the highest holy day on the Christian calendar. It's Christ's resurrection from the dead that sets Christianity apart from all other faiths. We serve a God who's alive, not one who's dead. And so today, I want to briefly explain one of my favorite verses. I'm going to... I'm going to really try to be brief today. I know most of us have somewhere we have to go, some family event we have to attend. So I'm driving into Brooklyn later. We're going to try and be be brief. But I love what is said in verse 10. Paul writes, I want to know Christ. And it would be easy for us to read over that passage and with our Western worldview mindset, 
think that what, what Paul is saying is that I want to have an educated understanding of God. I want to have a theological understanding. I want to have an academic understanding of God. And though all those things are fine, that's not what the word know means here. The Greek word used for I want to know Christ is the word gnosko. And it means to know intimately and personally. It means to know by experience. It's vastly different from knowing somebody because I've read about them in a book. It's that I've had personal interaction with them. Matter of fact, it's an extremely personal word. The word gnosko is a Jewish idiom for the intimate, personal relations, relations that a husband and wife would share. I want to know Christ. I want to know him personally. I want to know him intimately. I want to know him by experience. So when Paul says, I want to know Christ, he's talking more, and he's talking about something vastly different than his theological training as a rabbi. As a matter of fact, in the context of this, these verses here in Philippians chapter 3, he's saying that all, that all that other stuff, everything I've gained, I counted as loss. He considers it rubbish. And he's talking about all his theological training, all his professional expertise as a religious leader. He considers it rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of Gnosko with God. And now, he had invested his whole life into this theological training. It was no small thing. It was the identifier of who he was to the point where he would, he would chase after Christians from town to town to kill them for their faith. And then God changed him because he had an encounter with God. He had an experience with God. He met God on the road to Damascus. So when this Paul writes, I want to know Christ, he's not talking about the knowledge of God that he had from his previous experience and all of his education and theological training. And yet, most of us in the church today somehow We've given up the high ground, and we've gone to this, this lower place of being content and satisfied with only an academic understanding of who God is. And he's offered so much more. The purpose of the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth, the purpose of the crucifixion, of the resurrection was so that we could gnosko God, was so that we could know him. <laughs> Easter is all about relationship. To, the purpose was to restore broken relationship between us and our God, a relationship that was lost in the garden with Adam and Eve. And Jesus came to bridge that gap. In the incarnation, he came to us when we couldn't get to him. He didn't wait until somehow we reached this, this zenith of personal um, enlightenment and evolution so that we could somehow attain to a, a place where we could reach out and touch him. But in our low, lowest place, in our brokenness. 
Scripture says that while we were still his enemy, in the incarnation, he came and entered our realm and met us where we are. And he did it for the purpose of relationship. So I love the fact that I don't have to have it all together. I didn't have to have it all together for him to reach out to me the first time. I don't have to have it all together for him to continue to have a relationship with me. The life that Jesus lived is he modeled for us the, a way that we didn't know. He modeled for us relationship. Think about how he did it. He hung out with 12 guys. He got some friends. And they lived life together. And by his life, he was the example of how this is supposed to be done. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't write books. Right? He didn't write 12 books, and each one is a volume on how to live the Christian life. He invested himself into 12 men, and it changed the world. He did it relationally. The whole purpose of Easter is relationship. And then in the crucifixion, he paid the price for a relationship that we couldn't pay. Now, how do you put value on something? Value is um, identified by the price that somebody's willing to pay, right? I found a statistic this morning. I was, I was thinking, what was the highest price ever paid for a piece of artwork? And according to Wikipedia... On November 2nd, 2006, a Mr. David uh, Giffen paid the highest price ever paid for a painting. It was the work of, um, by the abstract expressionist Jackson Pollock. It was his work titled Number 5, 1948. Now this was done on a 4 by 8 sheet, uh, sheet of fiberboard. And it consisted of thick amounts of brown and yellow paint drizzled on top of it, forming a nest-like appearance. I'm thinking maybe I could do that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he paid $140 million for that painting. How do we identify the value of something? It's identified by what someone is willing to pay. That painting, at least to Mr. Griffin, or Giffen, is worth $140 million. The Father determined that relationship with you is priceless. That you are so valuable to him that the greatest price would be paid so that relationship with you could be restored. And Jesus willingly sacrificed himself to pay the price that it was impossible for us to pay. What does it cost to have relationship with Almighty God? What does it cost to have a relationship with the one who's perfect in every way? It costs Jesus. You're priceless to him. Even more expensive than fiberboard with brown and yellow paint. In a nest pattern. <laughs> in the resurrection, we have evidence that he overcame what we were powerless to overcome. 
So no, no matter how broken that relationship feels, no matter how distant you think he is, no matter how bad you think you are, nothing's impossible to him. He overcame hell. What hell are you in right now? Easter is proof he overcame it. It overcame, he overcame death. What feels in your life like it's died? He overcame that too. He overcame the grave. What are you buried under? Easter is the evidence that he's overcome that for the purpose of relationship with you. Of course it's about relationship. It has to be about relationship. If it wasn't about relationship, then why would God choose to use language like he's our father? If it wasn't about relationship, why would he refer to us as sons and daughters? If it wasn't about passionate relationship, then why would he use terminology? Why would he refer to us as his bride? And he's the bridegroom. That's talking about a passionate love relationship. He could have called us his employees. He could have called us his subjects. He could have just said, hey, you. But he chose to use language that communicates relationship. And in the healthiest sense, loving relationship. The scripture says that God made man in his image. And he has. And he made them male and female. Unfortunately, throughout history, we've made God in man's image. And that image often looks like our fathers. And maybe our fathers were less than godlike. So think of this language in the healthiest sense, in the purest sense, in the cleanest, in the holiest of sense. He's our father. He's a good father. He's a perfect, loving father. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. He's the bridegroom, and he's coming back for a bride. Without spot or wrinkle. And it's his job to get us that way. It's all about relationship. Relationship with the father and relationship with one another. Jesus is a bridge made out of pure love. I want to be like him. I want to be a whole lot more like him. Now, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection is proof that love is not a pain-free endeavor. Love is not a pain-free endeavor. We want to have a relationship with one another. (laughs) It's going to be painful at times. I gotta tell you what, intimacy is worth it. Intimacy is worth the pain. Friendship is worth the pain. July 1st, 1976, about 9.30 at night, I gave my life to Jesus. It changed my whole life. It was the, the major, most major turning point in my whole life. 
I grew up in Brooklyn. I was very skinny back then. I wore glasses. I had a funny last name. Most kids in school, they didn't need much more ammunition than that. From about the first grade to the eighth grade, I got beat up after school every day. I did. School life was miserable for me. My younger brother, Robert, was bigger than me, and he used to have to come and rescue me, pull me out from underneath the pile of guys who were pounding on me. You know what it's like when you get rescued by your younger brother? Not very cool. At home... I'm the oldest of four children and a mom who's very, very sick. Some of my earliest memories of my mother was her being sick. She would spend huge chunks of my life absent, not no fault of her own, but, you know, when they did open-heart surgery 40 years ago, you were in the hospital for six months afterwards. She had two open-heart surgeries that both failed. So she just wasn't there most of the time. My parents were married very young. Dad was always working two or three jobs. And if he wasn't working to pay the medical bills, he was at the hospital visiting mom. So he was tired and angry and absent. And so I grew up, by the time I was a teenager, I was an angry man, angry young man. I had a really, really bad temper. But the only emotion I felt comfortable expression, expressing was anger. And I, was, I desperately wanted to be loved. And so I, I remember, it was about Easter time, back in 1976. I remember we were on Easter break. We were on Aven- I live on Avenue on 35th Street in Brooklyn. And my brother, Robert, and my friend Frankie and I, we played stickball. This is what we did. We played lots of stickball. And we were good. We were really good. And we would always play on 34th Street. Well, the kids on 35th Street challenged us to a game of stickball. No problem. We're going to crush these guys, right? Well, instead of walking around the block, we're teenage boys. We're going to cut through the alleyway back behind my house. So the gates were always locked. So we climbed over the fence on one end and walked all the way through the alley. And Frankie is... My buddy Frankie, one of my, my closest friends growing up, he's climbing over the fence. And for whatever reason, I decide that it would be funny to smack him in the butt. And there was a little broken plastic guitar on the ground in the alleyway. So he's climbing the fence. His butt's right about here. <laughs> Wham! I whack him across his butt with the toy guitar. And he jumps down and he's furious. And see, Frankie had hurt his leg the day before. We were playing stickball. And I think I hit a shot. It must have gone a mile high. Frankie was the best outfielder in the neighborhood. So on a full sprint, he's running after this pop-up. And just as he's about to catch the ball, he runs straight into a fire hydrant. Nailed his, his, um, must have been, trying to remember now, must have been his, uh, his left leg. He nailed his fire hydrant. Well, he went down like somebody gotten shot, but he caught the ball. (laughs) 
He never dropped the ball. Well, by the next day, you can imagine, he had a black and blue on his leg that was ugly. It was nasty. So he's climbing up over the fence, and I give him a whack, and he jumps down. He's like, you know, I hurt my leg yesterday. What are you doing? And he punches me. And I don't know what happened. Something kind of snapped inside of me. I think it was the combination of all the kids who beat me up and all the anger I had because of circumstances at home, and now my friend, my best friend, is going to hit me too. And by the time I was 16, I was stronger than I knew I was. And so, you ever, you ever have one of those situations where a lot of thoughts go through your head all at the same time? It's like a nanosecond passes, but you have all these really cognizant thoughts. And so I'm thinking to myself, Frankie hit me, I'm going to hit him back. Hitting him back, this is, this is not even over for debate. He's going to get hit. But where am I going to hit him? And I'm thinking, well, he's my best friend, so I don't want to punch him in the face. And he hurt his leg yesterday, I don't want to hit him in the leg. So I'll aim toward the middle. And so I remember throwing a right hook that crunched him in the side. And I could see that I hurt him. And I liked it. And so I hit him again in the same spot as hard as I could. And his eyes rolled in the back of his head and he dropped to the ground. We would find out some hours later that I'd ruptured his spleen. Um, this is after the ambulance came and took him away and took him to the emergency room. Now, Frankie's my best friend. Well, his parents are my parents are best friends. I'm thinking my life is over, all right? Dad's going to find out about this, and I'm going to have the bed next to Frankie in the hospital. But much to my surprise, um, Dad didn't kill me. He didn't even yell at me. He didn't hit me. I was kind of hoping he would. I felt so bad. You see, what happened is for about the year before that, my mother started going to this Catholic charismatic prayer group, a Good Shepherd in Marine Park, Brooklyn. And over time, she was getting all the other family members to go. My brother went. Then my other brother went. And even my father went. Oh, my goodness. So they went to all this Jesus stuff. I thought they were crazy. I want nothing to do with it. I'd stay home and babysit my sister. I was like, yeah, you guys go. Go do that God stuff. <laughs> One time, we're at the kitchen table, and my mother says, well, let's pray. I'm thinking, there's no food on the table. What do you want to pray for? And my brother Robert was there, too. She said, and let's hold hands as we pray. I'm thinking, why do I got to hold his hand? I don't want to hold his hand. Now the two of them are holding my hands, and they start speaking in tongues. I'm thinking, this is why you're holding my hands, you know? Let me go. I thought they were really strange. But the, I did. But that day was the first signs of evidence that it was doing something in them. Because my father didn't kill me. He didn't explode in anger like I expected him to. And I remember being home alone, and everybody had gone to the hospital to see what was up with Frankie, and the phone rings. And it's this lady, Carmela, who ran the prayer group. She was in her 20s back then. We've been lifelong friends. She's even visited here. 
And she called the house to find out what was going on. You know, the whole prayer chain thing goes out, right? People calling her, pray for Frankie, you know, because Frankie's mother went to the prayer group too. Frankie had gone to the prayer group. And here I am, I put this kid in the hospital, right? And so um, I'm on the phone with Camilla, and she says to me, um, are you okay? And I said, no, no, you don't understand. I beat Frankie up. He didn't beat me up. He's the one who's in the hospital. She says, I know. I heard the story. But I want to know if you're okay. And that was like the second evidence to me that maybe some of this God stuff was real. She actually cared about me. I didn't expect that at all. She was very kind. And so Frankie goes through surgery, and they remove his spleen, um, and he, he survives the surgery. He's my best friend. I've got to go see him, right? So I, the hospital was in walking distance of the house. At the time, it was called King's Highway Hospital. I, I walk to the hospital, and I go see Frankie. And then he's laying in that bed, and he looks bad. He's got this huge bandage from where the surgery was. He's got all kinds of tubes and wires hooked to him. He's looking bad. And his mother's sitting on the other side of the bed and giving me the death look, you know. <laughs> looking me in the eye and thinking, ah, I'm feeling really bad. And I, um, I remember saying to Frankie, begging him to forgive me. Frankie, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I'll do anything you ask. I, was, I had this bicycle. I'd gotten this green bicycle for my birthday, maybe the year before. I'll give you my bicycle. I remember telling him that. Please forgive me. And Frankie looks at me and says, look, the only thing I want you to do is I just want you to go to the prayer group and ask the people to pray for me. I'm thinking, oh, man, <laughs> take the bike. <laughs> Please take the bike. <laughs> But I told him I would do anything. He's laying in that bed because I put him there. And the last thing I wanted to do was go to this prayer meeting. I have to be honest with you. At 16 years old, I thought these people would hate me. I don't know where the mentality came from, but Frankie was part of their group. He'd been going there, and I put him in the hospital. They're supposed to hate me, right? Well, no surprise. I go there. And these people loved me unconditionally. It was amazing how they held nothing against me. They didn't hate me. Only th- not only did they not hate me, they really cared for me. They treated me with love. It was an introduction to this, this love relationship with God at a profound level that hit me exactly where, where I was at and what I needed. I needed to be loved. Nobody at school loved me. More often than not, nobody was home to love me. No fault of their own, just the circumstances of life. But I went to this prayer group, and there were young people and there were older people. There were people who played acoustic guitars. I thought that was amazing. I loved the live music. But more than anything else, they loved me. And I really, really liked being loved. And so I would go back again and again and again. This was sometime in April. It was the Easter break, I remember. That infamous day in the alleyway back behind my parents' house. So after going for a few weeks, they had a beginner's Bible study program. They called it the Life in the Spirit Seminar. It was a seven-week course. Maybe some of you guys remember that from back in the day. But during the fifth week of this course, they gave us an opportunity to give our life to Jesus. 
and to pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so that night, me and my brother Robert and my friend Paul, another friend Eddie, and Frankie, all were at that group. We all gave our lives to Christ, July 1st, 1976. And we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it changed my whole life. It was a turning point in my history. It began that love relationship. Thir almost 30, uh, July 1st will be 34 years later. It has not always been easy. Sometimes it's been really hard. Sometimes choosing to live a life of faith has made it harder and not easier. But I've never regretted it because I've never been loved like I've been loved by God. Easter made all that possible. And it's possible for you. So I don't know where you're at today. I know almost everybody in the room. And I'm pretty sure that most of you have given your life to Christ at one point or another. But Jesus met me where I was at as a 16-year-old boy. He met me where I was at on my spiritual journey. I was raised Catholic. There was a God consciousness in my life. There were events that led up to that, that turning point on July 1st. Events like the fight with Frankie. But before that, my parents, the change in them... The fact that my mother would play Christian music in the house really, really loud. <laughs> we liked loud music. And I knew, I can look back now, and I can tell you that on my journey, all those things were impacting me. The phone call from Camilla. So where are you on your spiritual journey? Where has God been taking you? All this time. The spiritual journey that you've been on has brought you here to this place today. And I want to invite you to take the next step in that journey. Now maybe in the history of your journey, you made a decision about Jesus back then. Maybe you haven't. Or maybe wherever you're at today, today would be a good day to take the next step forward in that relationship, in the depth of that relationship. Lee Dean and I have been married for almost 29 years, right? We've been together for over 30. And I can honestly tell you I love her more today than I did back then. Life-giving, loving relationships continue to evolve and grow. They don't become stagnant. It doesn't end with that moment in that day. And so it is with our relationship with Jesus. Hey, as parents, most of us in this room are parents. We know that with our children, right? I have two adult children today. My relationship with them has changed dramatically from when they were four and six years old. I love who they are today. I love relating to them and communicating with them on a deeper, more mature level. Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? 
Maybe you need to be introduced to him. Maybe it's time to go to a deeper place. Maybe it's time to take the next step forward on your spiritual journey. Enter into a deeper relationship with him. Maybe for some of you, today is a day to restore broken relationship with him. I think the highest calling in our life is to be a friend of God. I don't know if there's anything better than that. In various ways, God's communicated to me over the years that the greatest position that we can hold is to be his friend. How's your relationship with your friend? Is the relationship broken? Can you think of a better day than Easter if that's the case? Can you think of a better day for that relationship, for that friendship to be restored? It's a good day for it. Now, I'm not promising you unicorns and rainbows and a painless life. But I'm promising you real love, real, true, genuine, authentic, Unconditional love that he that he has for you. Easter's evidence of that. So let's pray. And I don't often ask this, but would you close your eyes as we pray today? Because I want to pray for you, but I really want it to be a, a personal thing, an intimate thing. It's not about anybody else in the room today. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are faithful to your promises. I thank you that you're good and that you love us. And you don't break your word. Thank you. Lord, I thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus, that you've seen us as valuable enough to pay the price of Jesus so that we could have relationships with you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying that price that's impossible for me to pay. For reaching out for me when I could never reach out for you. I couldn't get there. I just couldn't get there. And so you came to me. And so, Lord, we pray today. Would you take us to the next step in the spiritual journey that you have us on? Whatever the next step is. Look, for some of us, we never decided to have Jesus as Lord or inviting him to be Savior. So Lord, we take that step today. Jesus, would you come and be my God and I'll choose to follow you? For some of us, Lord, We made that decision a long time ago and something along the way got broken and you feel far away right now. Lord, would you bridge that gap so we can take the next step forward? That friendship could be restored? Do that for us today. This Easter Sunday. Let us have a fresh start, a new beginning. Lord, would you wipe the sleep clean 
and let us begin again. And Lord, for, for many of us, we've been friends with you for a long time. And it's been really good. We just ask for more. I believe all my heart that we haven't barely scratched the surface of who you are. Lord, take us deeper. Take us further. Take us higher. Give us eyes that can see you as you truly are. Give us ears that hear your voice. Give us hearts that are yielded, surrendered to you completely. that we can live in loving relationship with you and that we can live as examples of love for you. Be it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So I pray for my friends today that your favor would rest on them. That they would have favor with men on earth and that they would have favor in heaven. Lord, I ask that you would bless your people. Grow open wide the floodgates of heaven. And Lord, pour out such blessing on their lives that they wouldn't have room enough to contain it all. I ask that you would express your lavish and extravagant love to your people. Do it, Lord. Lord, I ask that you protect us. I pray that we would be a people who live love. That we would truly love one another. Let us be known as a place. That's the place where they love one another. Let us be known that way. Lord, I pray that this would be a safe place for people to be loved just like I found when I was 16. Let, it be, let this place be that for other people. And Lord, I ask you to give us great grace today. We're going to be with our families today, Lord. And I pray that it'll all be good. Help us today. I pray that we could um, be an example of your presence, of your love to our families. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Have a wonderful uh, Resurrection Day.